boy, I'm going to feel good about buying this today, and I need to buy this today, and I'm going to buy this today because I deserve it, I want it, I need it, every possible justification in my head. And you and I both know that all I'm really doing is trying somehow with money to fill this gaping hole in my soul with stuff because I don't like feelings. I don't like to feel my feelings. Sure. So how can I medicate those feelings? Sure. Buy stuff. I can buy stuff with it. Right. This is So this was something that I thought I was the only person in the world who suffered from this. I really did. Intellectually, I, I always knew that wasn't the case. But the level of loneliness that I felt because of this self-control bias that was running my life, by coming in here and talking about it and realizing that this is something that a lot of people can suffer greatly from, has had a profound effect on what's going on in our country today. Yeah. Profound effect. So what's this podcast all about, this financial sobriety thing we're doing? It certainly isn't a traditional conversation about money. There's lots of great people in our industry that talk the traditional game. This is going to be a very unconventional conversation about those three unbelievably complicated relationships that when you put them all together, you don't necessarily think of them this way, but the relationship that you have with money, the relationship you have with your people that mean the most to you, and then the relationship that you have with the person in the mirror. You mean those three relationships go together? They do, and it's a very complex interrelationship between them. And when those get a little bit out of whack, interesting things happen. Do you know anything about that? We should probably introduce ourselves. Who oh, are you? good idea. Jim Gephardt. And I'm Matthew Grishman. I'm your author of the book, Financial Sobriety, and we are going to have some great conversations, so stick around. What are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for sunshine, brother. Sunshine? I'm so grateful that California weather has returned. We have been just getting pounded by some of the most water I've ever seen fall out of the sky. And and we need it. And it's a wonderful thing that our reservoirs are filling up. So I guess I'm grateful for the fact that, ooh, ooh, you know what else I'm grateful for? My prediction from the beginning of January in 22 yeah. was wrong. Well, which one? The, the only one I'm really the thinking of. The stock market was higher? No, I don't be think higher? I had that prediction. Oh. I had the prediction that there will be less water in California at the end of the year than there will be in the beginning of the year. I was yeah, wrong. That, that was wrong by maybe a trillion gallons. Wow, I was wrong. I'm grateful for being wrong on that one. Oh, yeah. I'm super, we just got a little bit super does, grateful. Does your family use the word deluge? Mm, no, that's something I only hear hanging out with your family. Yeah, so my parents would have described this atmospheric river as a deluge of water. <laughs> like, I, I would think the deluge is like something that is in by the Davenport. Is there an umlaut over the U? <laughs> <laughs> what are you grateful for? I'm still grateful for our adventure down to San Diego this weekend. Oh, that's lingering oldest, gratitude. Our, it is. Our oldest daughter, Emily, is a senior at San Diego State, and it was her final home swim meet, and we just had such a great time seeing her in her environment and the way they celebrated all the seniors, the speeches, the very profound, meaningful speeches that a you know a, an underclassman gave about the graduating senior and listening to each of those and the impact that each of these women have had on the team and then kind of flashing back to Emily's freshman year where she was super emotional when the senior meet came around because she couldn't imagine continuing on without the fearless leadership of her senior class. And she blinks four times and it's her. And now it's her. Yeah. And the fact that Beth's family's in San Diego and we brought the boys with us and Grace wasn't obviously able to go. She's in school herself. So it was a wonderful family weekend and you know coming through and I'm by no means through it the grieving process with my you know losing my own parents yeah it puts an emphasis on family that is irreplaceable and we were taken kind of become known for it in our family where just selfie we're taking a selfie oh I think when we're it's taking more, a selfie when it's more than one it's called an ussy oh it's an ussy yeah okay yeah, yeah, well yeah. then I should have just taken them a me Ah, I would say, were they selfies so, I mean, we were, or us? We were waiting like 45 minutes at a breakfast place to get a table. There's seven of us. We're, you know, we're trying to do it in a small 
little cafe kind of breakfast place. I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be. All right, let's take a selfie. Right. And it's with the grandparents and it's it was a meaningful getaway. Awesome. That's yeah. very cool. And I and I need some more of those. I need to get a couple more of those on the books. Much like yourself, I, I tend to anchor. Oh, foreshadowing. Yeah, we might uh, we might be talking about it. I tend to anchor on having things to look forward to on the calendar. I got more gratitude. Oh, it showed up. Thank you. Was that Amazon Fresh, or how'd you get it so fast? I'm just grateful to be sitting here in studio with you. Aw, isn't that nice? We're doing this again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is official. I know we, we've had a couple of best of episodes that have come out so far this year, but this is kind of our first official sitting in studio together and, you know, moving from 22 to 23. There's lots on the drawing board for 2023. And part of what we do with our clients at Gebhardt Group is a little bit of, of a look back, right? This time of year, it always prompts me to think of the State of, Un- State of the Union address that the president will give. We do we do a State of the Union where we look back at kind of the year that was, what that was about, and then look forward into what, you know, what do we see as the backdrop coming into 2023? Probably nothing as profound and as pregnant as will there be more water in California at the end of 23 as there yeah, was not, in 22. I'm not going down there again because I said predictions have to be predictable and I was wrong about that. Hey, it's all good. I did trust historically what had happened for years before. That's kind of what led me to my prediction, which just tells me why just because it's happened in the past doesn't mean it's going to continue to happen in the future. There's a little bias that I have in, in there. Oh, more foreshadowing. Yeah, a little, a little more foreshadowing. One of our missions with Financial Sobriety and Gebhardt Group is to make people better investors. And the curriculum of Financial Sobriety is about getting your relationship with money right so that you actually have some. That's a good idea. Right? Yeah. And then it becomes a matter of how do you become a better investor? The topic that we're going to get into today that I think is very timely as we start a new year and with all your your training and education that you're going through with the CFP program, and I don't mean the college football playoffs, I mean the certified financial planning designation that you're devoting a lot of time, effort, and energy to, which is awesome. The teaching points that you've come across that I think is vital for the conversation today is this issue of biases. Behavior. And behavior. Yeah, behavior. And Let's just call it behavior. When I first started, when the you know the Earth's crust was cooling, right? There was no such thing as behavioral finance. Well, the Earth was still flat. Right. That's why. Thank you. Yeah. You thought you were going to throw me off today. I I, well, I, I was I was I trying to little... come up with Bartholomew or who was the who was the flat well, guy. Well, you, you I don't know, but when you started in the business back in the days of Methuselah, thank you. Yeah, things were different. Things were different. This was a left brain business. This was a a completely left brain exercise. If I went back to school today, I think I would go get a PhD in behavioral finance. Ooh. Now, I've shared that with a couple people and they'll go, no, 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 no. You're going to teach the class (laughs) in behavioral finance because it's a topic that, you know, if you've never heard those two words before, don't they make sense? Don't, doesn't it just make sense that you combine the word behavior and finance. It does make sense because there's a lot of behavior associated with finance. Right. And understanding and that most behavior of it, is most of it whew, is bad. Yeah. I mean that that's kind of the whole purpose of why we created the show. I mean, my mom and dad used to ask me questions all the time. Why don't you just stop spending? I don't understand it. Just just stop spending. Well, if it was that easy, ladies and gentlemen, we wouldn't be sitting here doing the show. Well, today. we wouldn't. Ha- we wouldn't. We wouldn't be overweight. We wouldn't be overspent. We wouldn't be over everything. Everything, right? Well, behave. If be- it was as easy as just, just Matthew, just stop. Just stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've I've always wondered that about myself. What you know? What is it? Why do people act irrationally when it seems very simple? Right. Just. Stop spending. Stop doing that. Stop holding on to your money so tightly. Stop that certain behavior. Pissing it away so yeah. easily. Yeah. Right. Right. That's just, that's never been the case for me. And and this whole area of behavioral finance is something I've been fascinated with since the day I started in the business. And and what, and we've, we talked about this a few episodes ago. This just kind of came up in conversation so much so 
that we decided to craft an episode around it, these behaviors and these different biases that we have that drive a lot of these behaviors and then connecting the dots between how dangerous some of those behaviors can become. They create more risk in our lives that perhaps is unnecessary. The reason we thought, I think we thought this would be a good idea to start the year off is, you know, if, if you've been coming along this journey with us on financial sobriety for the last three years, chances are you might have met us at a point in life where you were struggling, really treading just to keep up, treading water just to keep up financially in life. If you've stayed with us over the course of the last few years, then maybe you've gone from struggling to having some level of success financially in your life. I, I know you and I both have or since, you, yeah. since we started. Or you have a new set of, of habits, a new set of tools to where, you know, maybe you've been just fine financially, but you were dropping nickels or you're making impulsive decisions and letting... It wasn't tight. It wasn't tight. Right. And And being with us for a little bit of time, assuming that you were taking some of the action steps we're recommending, especially back when we were going through the financial sobriety curriculum and episodes one through 27. That a boy. Very good. And then how we've circled back to some of that curriculum. I'm going to live under the assumption that you have made phenomenal progress. I know I've made lots of progress, although I've taken some steps back. I've made progress. That would be human. Yeah, that that's a beautiful human experience. Here we are kicking off the fourth year of the show and I've had this theme, you you said it, and, and I can't get my head off it, this idea of going from success to significance. Mm-hmm. We were in survival mode. We went from survival mode to we got this a reasonable level of, of financial success in life. And now how do we take that to where that success becomes something more significant than just, you know, providing for our families and making ourselves comfortable? How, how do we take this to a whole new level of significance? And, and I think the only way to do that is is to realize that that comes from within. That that's something that has to come that's from within. That's an inside job. It's an inside job. Yeah. And it's a matter of getting really honest with yourself. It's a matter of having a true willingness to take this to the next level. Strip it down to make it better. Yeah. And and then being open-minded to maybe the way I see things, the way I think about things the behaviors that I have, maybe they're not always the right way, the best way, the the best way I can do things. And so understanding what some of these behaviors are and the biases that shape those behaviors, I mean, th- this conversation is going to force someone who's listening to take a really hard, honest look in themselves. It We're big sports guys, right? And for me, when I've coached mostly basketball, you've coached a ton of baseball, I always found the loss to be the most valuable in terms of growth and learning. Now, you know, God bless CYO basketball, we didn't have, there were, there was no videotape of the game to go watch, mm. right? But as you go up in professional sports, there's more and more, not professional sports, just sports in general, you know, as, as the caliber of the team that you're playing for goes up, there's generally going to be more film to watch. Sure. The film to watch for 2022 in financial land is the debacle that has been both the stock market and the bond market. We sure. talked at nauseum in the fall about inflation and the markets and the bond markets and the mm-hmm. mess. And Well, come on, let's let's declare 2022 as a disaster a disaster zone. right 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 plenty of federal funding thank you that door is closed so 2022 is a disaster in the financial markets right you may be listening to this like what the hell happened i mean you know let's let's pick on our friends at the fidelity balance fund being down north of 20% for the year is my recollection mm-hmm. don't hang me to that that's in a conservative fund yeah any any of those funds whether it's a Fidelity, a Vanguard, I mean, all, all the big fund manufacturers, yeah. any of their 60-40 balanced funds were down plus or minus 20% last year. And we're we're talking with a lot of people that are their heads are scratching because they're like, well, what the heck happened in 2022? Mm-hmm. Well, th- this, is, this is why we want to talk about these different exactly. biases because when you find that a lot of people possess 
the same types of bias, then that can have a pretty big impact on a national level, on a global level, when you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people with the same type of bias, all making decisions based on that bias, it has some very negative economic consequences, which we saw in 2022. That's why I want you to watch film. I want you to go back, and why we're talking about this is to look to, to look at the loss of last year as an investor and get better. Because mm-hmm. it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. It'll have a different flavor. It'll have a different name. It'll have a different crises, all that. But this bias conversation that we want to have and, and taking a real good look at it, that's that's so that you can get better as an investor and not necessarily do the same thing all over again, which is nothing. Yeah. And, and we're going to get into these different biases individually. But, you know, just what, what are we talking about? What, what does this look like? I, I'll give you a very high-level example. Okay. When you think of investment risk, yeah, there are people who are way out on the spectrum of investment risk mm-hmm. to the super-duper conservative folks, mm-hmm. to the super-duper aggressive folks. And generally, the people that operate out on the fringes of the risk spectrum – tend to be a lot more emotional when they make investment decisions. Oh, the that's super conservative and the super aggressive. Well, relative and what, to and what are the, the moderate moderate investor tends to be less emotional when they make those decisions. And the barbells, as I like to call them, of the conservative and the aggressive are fear and greed. Right. Right. And, and when those emotions creep into your decision making, Last I checked, when there's emotion in the decision-making process, that doesn't usually go very well. No, especially with money. I mean, there, there's nothing more toxic that you can mix together with financial decisions than emotion. And so the whole idea here is, and, and we've talked about this before, is, is kind of going back to the old uh, financial sobriety AAA test. Right, this this idea of honoring. I love the AAA test. Yeah, the, I just called AAA the other day to give me a jump start. Oh, did did it work? But this is a different AAA this is test. A, this is a different. This is the AAA method of change. I, I like to uh, refer to it, and and in a sense of honoring that, the, the what I'm talking about with the AAA is, you know, this idea of awareness, acceptance, and action. You know, awareness, just helping our financial sobriety tribe be more aware of the bias that exists in their financial decision-making. Amen. Right? So so today, if, if there's one thing you take away from this, is just becoming aware about how you have bias, how those biases will affect your behavior in 2022 with the financial decisions you made. Then there's the acceptance piece, accepting that this bias is going to exist. There are biases that I know exist in my life that, I'm accepting exists. Yes. But they allow me to move to that third A, which is action. Okay. Right? Taking some physical action contrary to what- Mindless spending? I feel like I want to do, like mindless spending. Uh Yes. To relieve. Yes. Oh. To relieve the burden. Every day, brother, every day, I am tempted with something, some sort of mindless spend. It's such a distraction, and it knows how to find me. Oh, yeah. They're be- They're much better at that now. I went almost three weeks over the holidays without touching social media, primarily because I didn't want to be bombarded with all of that temptation. You know what I've started doing? What? Clicking those three little buttons. Hide <laughs> ad. <laughs> there you go. Why, Mr. Gebhardt, should I hide the ad? <laughs> Not interested, not appropriate, da 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 do Uh-huh. And that's my new my new new thing in social media land. Oh, that's beautiful. All right. So we got a little goal today with what we'd like to accomplish. And really it's it's just helping our financial sobriety tribe become a lot more aware of the two different types of bias that exist in the world today. You know, become that better investor by becoming aware Amen. of What's going to help you make decisions so that you can be equipped to be more likely to stay on track with your financial plan long term? So, Professor, what what are those two biases? Well, there categories. There's, there's kind of two categories of making investment decisions where a bias can come in and screw that decision up for us. One is cognitive. There there are cognitive errors that can be made when making decisions 
And then there are emotional bias that could also help us make an error. So we've, we've got these cognitive That sounds errors. like a lovely cocktail. And, oh, if, well, as long as you mix uh, more cognitive and less emotional, it's right. very tasty. If okay. it's more emotional, less cognitive, then, then not so tasty. It's too filling. Yeah. I mean, a, a cognitive error is very simply decision-making based on well-known concepts that may or may not be correct. And I imagine we're going to, we're going to kind of dive into a few of these examples. Yeah. We're going to show some examples of this. And then of course there's this, this idea of emotional bias, which is a bias that generally occurs impulsively based on feelings that show up at decision time. So they're very, very different. Oh, yes, they are. The cognitive one is based on literally making a decision with bad information versus an emotional bias is making a decision based on a feeling that I'm having right now. So I think we just need to reiterate about 42 times today the importance of the AAA test. Ah. And just be aware that these these two categories are there. Yeah. And start start to think in your own experience, wherever you are in your journey with investing and money decisions and all that, how are those seeping in? Yeah. Well, with the brother, with the theme that we've had recurring now for the last three now going on four years, our first episode of the year is always about getting started on the right path. And I can't think of a better way to get started on the right path for 23 than reviewing a little bit of 22 and not so much reviewing what happened out there. What the outcome was. What happened out there or what the outcome of what happened out there is all about. I want to really take a look at 22 internally. I want to look at the choices and decisions that I made in 2022 based on what was going on out there because I have no control on what's going on out there. You don't? Eh, I sometimes live under the illusion that I do have control over what's going on out there. Gotcha. But all I have to do is put on my little hula hoop and realize that this is where all my power lies, right here inside of this hula hoop. Okay. So kind of reviewing 2022 from a standpoint of did I make any decisions last year based on bad information, based on some sort of cognitive error, and can I learn from that? Can I become aware of it? Can I accept that it happened? And then can I move forward with new actions now that I have new information to make better decisions for 2023. Same token, I want to look back on some of the financial decisions I made in 22 and wonder how many of those decisions, the big ones, were made with emotions present. Right. That allowed some of that emotional bias to turn into emotional behavior as it related to my finances. Well, let's let's jump in with a couple of samples, shall we? Yeah, well, there's, there's a whole bunch of different types. Again, coming out of the textbook from certified financial planner land, there's there's tons of these. Yeah, there's probably too many for an episode. Yeah. So one of the things I had asked you to look at is, you know, you you've been you've been in that chair, the financial planning chair, for a long time. You've learned how to oh, take sorry. a nap in that chair, sitting sorry. up. You you've been in that chair a long time. And so you've had the opportunity to have lots of experience with people making decisions about their money, having these biases in the room when they make the decisions. Yeah, sometimes they don't know they're in the room. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of what we're here to do today. Exactly. Bring them into the room. So what so do you what do you so think? So the 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 fir- well the first one in cognitive Which one jumped out at you? Yeah, the first one that jumped out was confirmation bias. Mm. Tell me more. Confirmation bias. Why did that so jump out? So you have out? you have a particular and this we're going to leave the money realm and we're going to go into the land the very dangerous murky land of politics. Oh, yay. Let's do it. Okay. So very simply, very easy way to diagnose confirmation bias. And I'm not asking this of you, Matthew Grishman. I'm asking this of our community. Everybody who's here today. Yeah. What news channel do you watch the most? Mm. Now, whatever it is, doesn't matter to us what it is. But if you are- Does it matter if it's cable? Not necessarily, but even- What's your news source? Yeah. I mean, we're- (laughs) Bias. Hello. I mean, media, media has gone to a very biased delivery method. Yes. Right. A left or a right in terms of the aisle, in terms of political slant, which way you lean. So if you are a MSNBC all day long, it's on, I'm on the radio, it's MSNBC or it's Fox or whatever. Again, I don't care what the political preferences, 
But that, ladies and gentlemen, is as classic as it gets about confirmation bias. You know what you know, and you're going to seek out information to confirm what and you it know. Feeds, it feeds the belief. Right. Right. And the internet and social media has gotten, I mean, it's, it is on top of its game in terms of feeding you more confirmation bias oh sure just, on whatever news story you're interested just in. go type it if so if it example if you're of the belief that we have too much debt in this country right perhaps some people believe that perhaps some people don't believe that well they're going to raise the debt ceiling again uh, yeah i know that's another whole show we could get into because that, boy would i love to be able to extend my credit limit whenever i want to and whenever i need it or at least back in the day but we'll talk about that another time. All right. You could literally type the question into Google, do we have too much debt? And you are going to get all the confirmation you need to back what you believe is the correct answer to that question. Okay. It's easy as that. Yeah. So if you believe the stock market is going to go down further in 2023. Right. And you start searching for stories on Type that. Type in the words, is the stock market going to go down in 23? It's just going to keep feeding you more and more. It's not going to give you a different perspective. Right. If so you're the, bullish versus bearish. So the, the cognitive bias around confirmation bias is you get locked into just one point of view. And there's no there's no departure. There's no There's no room for... Like I've I've watched family members for years, yeah. One being conservative, one being liberal, not even be able to have a conversation because of the fact that they couldn't even see how the other person could see that point of view. Right. Right. Sure. So that's confirmation bias to me. I love the stock market example because what what I think we're we're trying to do, and we've been trying to do this with the show for a long time, is you know we start in this relationship with money concept, and what it does is it allows us to dive deeper into much more sensitive layers of our lives, right? Especially when it comes to that relationship we have with people and the relationship that we have with ourselves. So I think a great money example of Literally, if it's your belief that a year from now the stock market's going to be higher versus a year from now that the stock market's going to be lower, you can get all the confirmation bias in the world by what you type in in Google. Yeah. The solution to that, to, to just becoming aware of this bias that exists in our life, is to maybe next time you feel like you know the answer to something and you're looking for confirmation – Go type in the opposite and just see what the other side of the world has to say. I love not, it. Not, not for the purpose of changing your belief system, but just for the purpose of opening your mind up. The awareness factor. Even, even the awareness of why others might see things differently. Yes. And how does that then become something we can apply to those other relationships in our life, like your family situation, where you've got dueling political views that can't even allow for a nice Thanksgiving table conversation. No, that would not be a good idea to bring that up at the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> okay, so another one that comes what to mind jumped out? another one that comes to mind on the cognitive bias side of things is the outcome bias. Ooh, tell me more. So just to give you the definition of this one, it is you tend to take a course of action based on the outcomes of prior events, ignoring current conditions. How has this showed up in my office over the last 27 years? It, I mean, yeah, hundreds of times. Give me some good money I'm not, examples. I'm not, this isn't a two or three, this is hundreds of times this has happened. Yeah. Mom dies, dad dies. Kid brings in statement from mom or dad and shows me the portfolio. Okay. And where I'm going to pick on specific companies because these are the ones I've seen over and over. Around here, Chevron, PG&E, Coca-Cola, okay. Ford, PepsiCo, right? PepsiCo, yeah. yeah, and oh well, Dad, you know, Dad, Dad had great success for so many years with these stocks. I'm going to hold them too. Hmm. Now that outcome bias is that for for a practitioner like me, that's a that's a hard one to break because now now you're going up against, you know the success that mom or dad has had over over decades yeah. when 
it really shouldn't be part of the conversation with the 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 adult child generally. I'm stereotyping stereotyping the bejesus out of this, yeah. but that it, it really has no relevance to the conversation. Like we we start we start with a fresh white clean a paper and build a new build a new model. But or or it's the you know, I've had great success with Apple over the years. Yeah, you know, I'm going to stick with them. Sure. But maybe because, everything is different at Apple. Right. You've experienced a certain outcome. What, oh, that How about how about one of your favorite examples you gave me? Which one? The Big E. Oh, my Enron guy. Ooh. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I when I met that poor soul, I poof, long before Enron went defunct. I met a man who was working at Enron, getting ready to retire with about a million six in his K plan. A million four was an Enron stock. And I just looked at him and said, in a very, very nice way, are you nuts? You've got everything concentrated. You work there. You work there. Your paycheck comes from there. And all of your wealth is now tied to the success but it, but of it, that company. Matthew, it has done me extraordinarily well for a very all long these time. years. Yeah. Right. Hello. Right. Yeah. Two, Outcome bias. Two years later. Bye-bye. Yeah, his 401k was worth 100 grand. You know, when when you talk about clients that have that outcome bias because of a certain experience with their parents, the reason that that's always been such a difficult bias to for you to overcome as an advisor is because there's also an emotional bias attached to that in many cases. It's not just that outcome bias cognitively where we look at information in the past that says well, mom and dad got very wealthy on this, therefore I will continue to get very wealthy on this. There's also this emotional bias that can come in on that called mm. endowment bias. I'd like, how do I get an endowment? <laughs> we're working on that. Wow. Yeah, we're working on that. But the, I mean, an endowment bias switches from the cognitive side to the emotional side where okay. now you think an asset you own is worth more than it is really worth simply because it's yours or because it was moms and dads, right? There's that emotional connection that because mom and dad owned this for so long and it was mom and dad's stock. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know with my own father for years, I put him up on this pedestal of perfection where there's nothing Hank could do wrong, right? Right. And and thank God I've, I've learned that he's a human being with faults and mistakes and little things that drive my mom nuts. And, and I love him even more because of that. But for so long, that bias existed within me that, well, just because dad said it, it must be right. The, the other one I always think of on endowment bias is the value of your house. Tell me more. Right, the value of your house or your car. Well, I mean, I know I know the, the, the oh. Zillow says the house is worth, you know, <laughs> yes. 300000 right. But you don't understand. I mean, the care and the attention right. that we have put into our house, it's easily worth 400000 Absolutely. Or my, my car. No, no, no. I don't care what Kelly Blue Book says about the value of my car. I mean, sure, for that make and model, somebody else's might be that, but not mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? No, I get that. So you and I both that, hear that all the time. Well, that attachment, a different word for the bias is attachment, yeah. right? So the, your attachment to waste management stock, your attachment to Charles Schwab stock, to Chevron stock, to... PG&E stock. All, all those are all, by the way, live examples of people that we know that have attachment, right, an endowment bias to a particular stock. Yeah. Now, if it's a component of their portfolio, sure, that's one thing. That's one thing. But if if it's your Enron guy, where it's a million four it's out of a million thing. six, the the tail's going to wag the dog on that. Well, there, so there's this. This kind of brings us to somewhat of a kissing cousin of outcome bias, which is one of my favorite. Do you have kissing cousins? I don't, but I've heard of people who do in oh. certain parts of this country. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's just one of those little sayings, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah. This is a far enough cousin that they could be related, but at the same time, they're far enough away in relation that they could kiss, I guess. Okay. It's called recency bias. Oh, yeah. This is this is one of my favorites because I've been watching you illustrate this, right? I mean, what, what have we just experienced here in California? For the last what feels like months and months and months and months. Yeah. It's been weeks, but this rain, this deluge of rain that we've been experiencing. Yes. As recently as two days ago, I was standing in my driveway wondering if we were ever going to see the sun again in California. And I'm going to dust off a blog post that there was no such thing as a blog post when I wrote this. 
But shortly after I moved here, it was either 95 or 90, it was 96. So it was 94, 95. It rained almost every day in January and every day in February. Wow. And all anyone could ever talk about was, will it ever stop raining? Right. And what I tried to remind people of as we've been going through this de- this drought is who were saying 180 degrees the opposite. Right. Will, will it, it ever, ever rain, rain again? Right. right. And now how quickly do we get to will it ever stop raining? Yeah, that's that's the kissing cousin I'm talking about. Well, because that chart that I, I would always draw. That's what I was thinking about it. Whatever trend we're in. Yeah, whatever the direction. human nature. I don't know. It's this This one. It, this has got to be some cognitive kooky thing. Because you didn't get this from your PhD work at University of Rochester? Not in, yet. In behavioral finance? Not yet, but okay. I will. Because extrapolate whatever direction we're in, up, down, flat. Yeah, it's right? the only way we can see. It's the only way we can see. We can't see around the corner of, well, no, the rain's going to stop and it might come back and Brother, the market we, might go up, the market might go down, but it's not going to be in a continuous decline. Not quite a year ago today. But let's call it 13 months ago today. You and I were sitting here talking about how the entire world has lost its absolute freaking mind because we've forgotten what it feels like to lose money. Yes. Right? We were in a three-year bull market. Well, more than that. But a three-year cray-cray part of the bull market where people were throwing money at stuff they had absolutely no rational reason to throw money at. Yes. Simply because we could only envision one direction of this market, which is to continue to go up and up and up well, and up. And then this isn't a bias, but then you get into the FOMO, the fear of missing out. I would imagine somewhere on this list we, we can could find, probably make find a, 20, one that, a 21st century version that of that. comes into the fear of missing out. Sure. Right? Because sure. it's like, well, you know, geez, the, the train's leaving the station and I want to be on it too. And we've had plenty of conversations with our private clients about how does how does risk factor into the conversation. But before we get into the risk part, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit more about some of the emotional biases that are out there. I mean, how can we not forget the all-time classic? You mean what this whole podcast is about? The self-control bias. Yeah, I mean that that's what that's going to get renamed. About. That's going to get renamed the Grishman bias. I was hoping for the financial sobriety bias, but we'll no, go with that. No, it's too personal. Eh, I know. I'm trying to get it one layer away. Okay. I didn't I I say I wrote the book on it, but I try not to take credit for that. So what is that one? It's what this whole show is about. That I mean that's this idea of self-control bias. Again, the textbook definition of you lack self-discipline and favor immediate gratification over long-term goals. Immediate remedy, 10, 10, 10. Yes. So the, the idea that so many of us have this emotional bias that what I want now, even though I have information that tells me this is going to hurt me long-term, I'm allowing that impulse, that emotion, because it's present in the moment of the decision. This is the difference between cognitive errors and emotional bias. A cognitive error is you're making a decision based on bad information. An emotional error or an emotional bias, like this self-control bias, is I'm making a decision with emotions present and feelings present, which opens me up to some really bad choices. And and if they can tip the scale, boom, you're going to do it. No matter how much I might know intellectually— that buying this new Audi today, even though the car that I have works just fine, even though that I know that's not good long-term, boy, I'm going to feel good about buying this today, and I need to buy this today, and I'm going to buy this today because I deserve it, I want it, I need it, every possible justification in my head. And you and I both know that all I'm really doing is trying somehow with money to fill this gaping hole in my soul with stuff, trying to fill it, trying to satisfy it because I don't like feelings. I don't like to feel my feelings. Sure. So how can I medicate those feelings? Sure. Buy stuff. I can buy stuff with it. Right. This is So this was something that I thought I was the only person in the world who suffered from this. I really did. That is funny in and of itself. Intellectually, I I always knew that wasn't the case. But the level of loneliness that I felt because of this self-control bias that was running my life 
by coming in here and talking about it and realizing that this is something that a lot of people can suffer greatly from. And as a result of that, a lot of people making impulsive money decisions based on feelings they have today well, sure. has had a profound effect on what's going on in our country today. Yeah. Profound right. effect. There are trillions of tons of garbage floating in these massive pools in the ocean right now. A lot of that has to do with self-control bias, right? Well, yeah, buying buying stuff. Buying stuff we don't need. That we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. I love that. For that gizmoch to wind up sitting on a shelf 10 days later. Or ashore. To wind up in the garbage, to wind up in the ocean. Yeah. See, we're, see the profound effect we're having here talking about biases? Profound. Status quo bias is another one I like. I like to challenge the status quo. How about you? Well, we we do, but there's a lot of people that don't really like the concept of change and status quo. Just, you know, this has worked for me for a very long time. So this, in effect, this is the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is bias. the ain't broke, don't fix it. This is the, the classic old story of the granddaughter is in the kitchen with the grandmother and they're preparing the Christmas roast. And the grandmother gets out the pan, and the the roast is sitting there on the counter. And without thinking about it, she cuts off one end and cuts off the other, and puts the pan in the puts the roast in the pan. And the granddaughter's like, "Grandma, what are you what are you doing? Why did you cut off so much of the roast?" Well, that's what we've always done. <laughs> but grandma, you just wasted like you know a third of the roast. Well, yeah, but it, you know, that's what we've always done. My my grandmother taught me that I cut off both ends of the roast. Well, well, how big was the pan? Well, we never had a pan big enough, so we always had to cut off both ends of the roast, right? That's status quo bias. You know what else is status quo bias? You and I were taught a certain way to mm. speaking of cooking food, how to cook the financial food that we serve to our clients in our private wealth management office. I know that this show is all about the self-control bias. I get it, yeah, I, yeah. and I love it. And then some more. And then one of the other derivatives that I'm most excited about is to get people to realize that there perhaps is a different way to manage money. Self-control bias is what started the show. Right. There are lots of other bias that keep the show going. So our friends in the Buy, Hold, and Hope community. Ah, welcome. We're glad you're here today. We're, we're really glad you're here today because we hope that you can get something out of this in the context of being aware that perhaps there's a different way. In 1952, Harry Markowitz won the Nobel Prize in Economics for something called modern portfolio theory. It was a wonderful theory at the time. Smart dude. I mean, God bless Harry Markowitz. I have a lot of respect for the man. Well, he has more Nobel uh, Prizes than you and I do. I exactly. So yet. Hat, hat, hats off to... Yet. Yet. There you go. I love when you talk dirty. Hats off to Dr. Markowitz. 100%. He created a methodology for how everyday average Joes could start, Joes and Janes, of course, could start investing their money the way the biggest endowments and institutions and the banks and all the mutual fund companies, because those those were the primary investors back in 1952. Sure, it wasn't mom and pops. There weren't many of us doing it. And so his brilliance in being able to dissect how those big institutions were successful investing and then translating that to the individual investor was brilliant. The challenge with it is that there was a disconnect with timeline, the concept of timeline. The idea that in the 1970s, 25 or so years after he created modern portfolio theory, all of a sudden the weight of this thing called retirement, the burden of funding that was shifted from those big institutions right, right onto our shoulders. How did that happen? Oh, legislation is how that happened. Well, we could, but we could certainly go with the, uh, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974. There you go. Well, that's the Otherwise the, known as ERISA. ERISA. That's the law that started it all. So if I haven't lost you by now, it is the shift from pensions to 401ks. To 401ks. Right. So all of a sudden now everybody's showing up into the investment world because we've got to manage our own money and save our money and get it to where we can use it in retirement. Because the, the burden is now on me. It's on me. And see, there's something that you and I have that the biggest institutions do not have 
as it relates to the bulk of our finances. And that's a very specific timeline as to when we need those finances to show up for us and support us in retirement. Amen. Right? Yeah. So status quo bias has probably been one of the most, hmm, probably had one of the biggest effects on the overall financial health and this looming retirement crisis that you and I are seeing down the road because the average human being barely has two nickels saved, let alone enough to support retirement. And when you think of status quo bias, that 1952 technology that— Mark, no, keyword modern. Modern portfolio theory technology mm-hmm. from 1952 yep. is still today how the majority of the biggest investment houses and how the majority of most individual investors think about investing their money. My favorite way to kind of open somebody's eyes to this is what year is your truck? 2019. Mm-hmm. And my sedan's a 2016. And then we have a 20, we have a 2011 Jeep. And then the Volkswagen's, I think, a 2017 or 18. Okay. Last I checked, I, I have not come across a client in my entire career that's driving a 1952 Oldsmobile. Hmm. Or 1962 Oldsmobile, or 1972, 82, or 92 Oldsmobile. You can see those at uh, Hot Cars, Cool Nights in uh, Rockland sure, and, uh, and once a year. And they're, that's exactly where you should see them. In a museum. In a museum. <laughs> so to think that people are managing their life savings with the burden of retirement on their squarely on their shoulders alone with nobody coming to save them. Yeah. With a strategy from 1952 is reckless. Well, the the good news is I'm I'm going to start to get hot and bothered yeah, yeah. with this. I know, and that's you've the, triggered me. Good. I am now emotional. Yes. The good news is we get the gifts that tell us about this status quo bias. It happened in 2000, 2001, and 2002. <laughs> we got that horrible market with the dot com bubble that taught us how buy, hold, and hope doesn't work for people who are on specific timelines. So I'm sure after that experience, the whole world went and... Yeah, it it shifted. Oh, right. It didn't. Yeah. So we got another gift in 2008. Mm -hmm. That was the gift that finally got you to do something different. Oh, I... Uh, yeah, because o one o two didn't change you and me at all. No, because I was still sure I was still a green snot nose right. we broker. And the thing that I learned in two thousand and one, I think it was, was how to throw a football down the long corridor of my of the office that I worked at for the brokerage firm I was at, because there wasn't a soul without hitting anybody. Well, I could. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could play catch with somebody fifty feet down the, the other hall. end of the hall. But you had to. I mean, it was not a low. It wasn't a super low ceiling. But so you that had, was your big takeaway from yeah, the I, dot I com to, crash. It was. I learned how to throw a bullet pass. Fabulous. Yeah, it's been well. Thank really, God. Thank God. Uh, because you weren't paying attention then, you were paying attention in 08. Because oh, what pain. happened in 08. Well, come on, right? <sighs> There's no bias here around pain. But when the pain generally reaches a point of, I don't know what you would call it, but the pain reaches some incomprehensible demoralization. Yeah, you're just you cannot stand any more of that pain. Yes, right. That is what got you from your bathroom floor into my conference room several months later. Yeah, was, that woke me up to a little bias was that the was pain operating that. my life. Sure, the pain of the crash in 2008 got me to a point where I'm like, we need to challenge the status quo. I can't do this anymore. Yep, I have to do something different. My sincere hope for people that are listening today is that that maybe 2022 did that for them. That maybe the status quo mumbo jumbo of just sit there, be patient, stay, hang in there, investing's long term. You're going to be fine. The money's going to come back. I I cannot get the the gentleman out of uh, my head that you mentioned towards the end of the year who had a million dollars in his K plan. He was down... 300 grand for the year and his current advisor said oh. he's 62 or three or four years yeah, old yeah, yeah. Hey, and and he said yeah. and he and the advisor and and hey i can throw the stone because i used to deliver the same horse shit to clients mm-hmm. back in my earlier days yeah was status quo it's gonna come back it'll be okay you can hang in there it'll it'll come back the the quote that got me was you've got plenty of time You've got plenty of time at what age? This was some, so this is, this is actually a, um, the brother of a friend of ours yes. who had a half a million bucks in his IRA. He's 60. 
He wants to retire at 63. Okay. It's football season. Can he, I just do a quick football analogy? He's down 200 grand. And, and he's in the red zone. And he's in the red zone. And his advisor said to him, you've got plenty of time. You'll make it back. Mm. First of all, that's a huge SEC violation because that's very promissory. That's just dangerous, reckless. That's an advisor that's not aware. Advice. It, it is. And it's an advisor who's it, so who suffers suffers from this, the status quo bias so badly. Yes. That they're doing their advisor, they're doing their clients he's a break, disservice. He's breaking the law with what he's saying because he's so entrenched in the status quo bias. Yeah. Crazy. It is crazy. Holy cow. As usual, we are covering a lot of ground here today on the show, and we still have a lot more to add, especially Jim's favorite bias of them all. That's coming up. But before we get there, let's take a pause. Let's take a break. And let's digest what we've done so far. Lots of different biases for us to absorb. Take a little time to scratch them out and, and see how they're impacting your financial decisions because, oh, brother, they are surely there. You just may not be aware of them until you sit down with them for a bit. I can see you shaking your head on some of them already. Coming up in the next episode, we'll cover exactly how you deal with these different biases and the steps you can take to minimize, if not eliminate them altogether from your most important financial decisions. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.